And we are live with our 31st episode of Absolute AppSec. I'm Ken Johnson at CK Tricky on Twitter, and I'm joined by my co-host Seth Law at Seth Law on Twitter. Hey, everybody. Welcome once again to the show. Happy to have you. We're super excited about tonight. We've got uh, like a really good friend, um, Rob Fuller on, and we're going to, I'm going to do proper introductions for Rob and we're going to, we're going to discuss with Rob, um, his background. Uh, he's going to, we have a lot of questions to ask him. So before we get to that, Seth, did you, uh, did you want to mention anything, um, regarding training or anything along those lines? Uh, no, I, 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 well, yeah, actually, um, I know that we've mentioned it a few times, but Ken and I will be at AppSec USA uh, teaching a course on how to perform secure code reviews. Uh, that class is filling up quickly, so if, if you would like to be a part of it, um, go to appsecusa.org, I think it is, um, or you know, ping us and we can send you the link to it. Uh, it should be good. We've been working on the content and we're pretty excited about it. Uh, we're also giving at uh, that same course at AppSec Day in Melbourne, Australia, the week following AppSec USA. But you know, probably most of the, I, we're not sure where our demographic is here. But if you can make it either of those, uh, we'd be we'd love to have you. Uh, outside of that, uh, just it's been a another week of application security work. Um, yeah, we've been doing a lot of research. Uh, people have you, Ken? Have you played with? Burp Suite Pro yet, the new version? Apparently not, because I think we lost Ken. Or maybe you lost me. Oh, I can still hear you. Okay, Rob's still here. So maybe me and Rob are running the shows, because I'm not sure what happened to Ken. We'll, we'll give him a minute to, to pop back on. Um, I know that one of the things that we wanted to do that we wanted to start was doing kind of an application security minute at the beginning of the podcast. Uh, we had some feedback recently about, uh, you know, just providing more general feedback. A lot of the, the episodes we've talked to a lot of people and we've got a lot of kind of backgrounds of people getting into the industry, but we also wanted to provide some sort of, um, some more instruction and tutorials to the community about how to do application security and have some practical advice about how how someone that is in the industry, you know, we've had Justin and others on, but how they can implement certain things or how they can understand better a vulnerability or protect against it. Uh, so Ken had some ideas for tonight on you know, one thing that he deals with on a daily basis. Uh, Ken, are you back? I am, and uh, my apologies. I think it's because Rob's on. And I'm having some Wi-Fi issues. He's <laughs> using his ma his magic wizardry. Didn't yeah. do it. Yeah, he's that good. <laughs> yeah, I'm having some issues, but uh, no, no. The thing that was like, if you're getting so, this is if you're if you're submitting a bug bounty finding, if you're submitting a penetration test or assessment or whatever, if you have a finding and you want to submit it, I thought, you know, we, we, we talk a lot about like all the technical aspects of this uh, field and we do all that, but I just thought we could take a few minutes to kind of like discuss real quickly. Hey, if you're going to submit this, this is kind of some like things to, to, to look out for our things to uh, that we had uh, put together, but 
Um, I'm running through it. So uh, submitting a quality finding, um, the like three biggest things that I wanted to kind of add to that, Seth, before I get your take and Rob, feel free to chime in. But um, so one is brevity when needed. The reason I say that is sometimes you'll see a finding come in and or you'll read a report with a finding and what you'll see is like this repetitive kind of discussion of the issue or its impact or something along those lines. Like I said, I'm talking about repetitive and circular and just adding too many words to the mix. And the reason I say this is um, being succinct is powerful. You can get your message across and people will actually uh, understand what you're saying. If you if you use too many words or you conflate the actual issue or you, you conflate like the risk and it can be confusing, right? Especially to somebody who may who's reading it who may not even know anything about security in general. Maybe it's being handed to a developer or a system administrator. So again, brevity uh, is your friend. Being succinct is your friend. The other thing was uh, the other two things were uh, detail where ne where necessary. So. Uh, Yes, uh, I just said brevity is important. And there are some times when the details are incredibly important as well. So what I mean is specifically, if you're saying like, hey, this is a vulnerability I found, what really is helpful is to be um, specific and document the exact steps um, so that somebody who doesn't necessarily understand the, the finding can can read what you're saying, follow those, just think of them following your steps exactly to try and recreate whatever you've said you've done to uncover that issue or you know maybe that exploit the issue. So uh, yeah, when you're doing reproduction steps, especially details are incredibly important. Just put yourself in the shoes of somebody who's reading this who doesn't necessarily understand security. And the last thing that I wanted to add was uh, not using emotive words. The reason I see this, say this is that I see this, especially with like more, uh, more kind of inexperienced um, security folks is using words like simply, for instance, or just, uh, I'm trying to think of uh, keywords that kind of trigger um, kind of an emotional reaction. So, uh, you know, simply is one, um, like, Pretty oh. cool. What's that? Oh, I've actually seen pwned on a on a report. Yeah, pwned. Uh, really bad. You know, try to stick away. Exactly. That's a good example. Try to stay away from anything that's really super opinionated, in the sense that you can make your point with facts, and you don't necessarily need to um, use those types of words. But like I said. Uh, with things like basically and and simply and things like I have the I have a tendency or I had a tendency to to do those types of things or to write those types of words, but it's um, it can come off not even condescending. That's the wrong. It it almost comes off like especially to people that are experienced. It comes off as very you can tell this person's junior. And with some other people, they might interpret that in a negative sense, um, and it might actually be considered condescending. So I guess what I'm saying is just avoid like any emotional or super opinionated types of words. Uh, so yeah, those are my three things. Seth, Rob, anything you want to add before I intro Rob and we move on? 
Yeah, it, it, like my general advice when it comes to actually submitting a vuln or you know generating report, Ken, and like we've had this discussion before because I you know I, I think I was one of the first ones that actually PR'd your reports right back in our fishnet days. Um, but my general advice is finish it and before you submit it, you know, give yourself five minutes and go back and reread what you've written. Um, I can't tell you that the number of times that I get reports or like even my own reports, if I go and I push my first thought out, it doesn't make any sense, right? I'll get halfway through a sentence and then I change what I'm trying to, you know, explain to a person and the whole thing doesn't make sense. So I, I am constantly doing this rereading and rewriting um, function with any report or any vulnerability that I'm trying to put out to people. And it's mainly because I'm trying to do, Ken, what you're saying, try, make it as succinct as possible, explain it in a way that a project manager can pick it up and actually read it and have some idea of, all right, this is the vulnerability. I may not understand these technical details from here down, but I can hand it to somebody else and say, this needs to be fixed or hey, guess what? We kind of know that this is a, a risk or whatever, and it needs to be fixed within the next 30 days rather than this is something that we need to jump on tomorrow. So my advice would be reread what you've written. Don't just send off your first draft because it's never going to be good enough. It's not good enough for me when I do my own stuff. It's not going to be good enough for people that are reading it or accepting it. Um, so that, that's what I've got. Rob, anything from you? Yeah, um, I'd just add to um, the uh, reproduction steps uh, piece that uh, Ken said. Uh, one of the things that has gotten me multiple times in the past is uh, when you make reproduction steps, do it from a fresh set of whatever, a, a new VM, uh, a, a new burp, uh, because sometimes, and I've, I've done, like I said, I've done this, I'll have done something and there'll be one little piece that I forgot I had done and it won't work. And then if you send off that report and it doesn't work for the client, they're gonna you know, be yelling and screaming, this is already fixed or, or this is not an issue or whatever. Um, so reproduce those steps yourself from uh, a clean state and see if the, the vulnerability is still there. Um, and um, uh, with the rereading, I, I've fallen prey to that as well. Uh, I, I have written sentences where I'm like, okay, uh, I'm going to go to the store and then I'll think, oh, wait, um, if I say it this way, uh, William is this. And then the, the sentence will be, I'm going to go to the store, William is this. And like, I will think that I'd fix the sentence just fine. And then when I go reread it, it's absolute crap. So. I, I'm totally on board with that. Um, the only other thing I would do um, that is uh, a little less common is uh, uh, cleanup steps. Anything that you leave behind, like if you've uploaded um, 400 images to a, a server and to get the, the, the just one to work, uh, I would I would include those cleanup steps in there and say these are the things that are still on the server that I can't get rid of or these are you know this is the binary that I left because I couldn't get rid of it in time or whatever um, I, I've I've known way too many red teamers and pen testers that have left things behind on systems 
and just not told the client and because it'll go away or it'll be deleted or it'll be gone when it reimages. There's no nothing malicious there. And and just being forward with that kind of stuff. You know, something you said that maybe uh, and, uh, and those are all really gr great points. And in addition, when you mentioned the screenshots, it made me think of this. Be be uh, sensitive to what you do with, say, like an XSS payload or something like that. Like the reason I say is I uh, have made this mistake earlier in my career where um, – you know, I was tired and I probably dropped an F-bomb in my, I'm not saying it actually made it into a report, uh, never made it that far, but um, yeah, just be like, why, when you're doing testing, just be, just be gentle in your wording of like <laughs> payloads you're sending, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Uh, and, and I guess the last uh, one. Uh, Sorry. Broke up for a second, Ken. Did you say five. something? Okay. Um, so the last thing I would want to say is, is include detection steps. Um, blue teams and, and defensive people love when I have a finding on, on um, X and like I found, let's say, uh, you know, rook code execution or, 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 uh, or uh, like command injection. And I did these seven things to get there. And here's all the reproduction steps and here's my uh, cleanup steps and all that. And then I have a, a detection section where I said, you could have detected it when I started trying to do X or when, when I was doing this upload, I was testing these seven things before I got to the point where I knew it was there or um, it was found with Nikto. Easy way to detect Nikto is look for the user agent. That, those kind of things to kind of um, soften the blow a bit too, like a, while while you didn't see me or you might have saw me, um, here's ways you can improve that. So it's an additional finding sort of on top of it. Yeah, that, nice. I mean, I think that's really important from a, like you're, you're doing a red team assessment or you're doing like a penetration test. That's harder to do when it's some sort of bug bounty. I know that Ken has been doing a lot of kind of bug bounty stuff lately um, when that, that's pulling in, but I could still see that as being useful, right? I still um, do that for bug bounties too. Um, they just don't respond as often. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that might just be the generic uh, way that those bug bounty companies actually handle the bounty that you give to them, right? Because I don't, I, I never know for sure what exactly is passed on completely. And that may be an interesting topic that we can talk about at some point as well. Um, how the vulnerability that you write and submit to the bug bounty company actually, what gets to the end user um, or, you know, to the company itself. Uh, cool. Uh, yeah. So, I, I mean, I think that's useful advice. I, you know, obviously there's stuff that I like, as we're talking here, I'm thinking, yeah, I, you know, adding some sort of detection step to my report may be a, a useful thing for the companies that I'm dealing with, because I, I do get that question quite a bit after the fact we're going through the report and they're always like, okay, well, how do we, how do we know that this is happening? Right. We saw that the log files started filling up, which was one indication but you're you're executing a SQL injection attack. What should we be watching for there? That's out of the norm, right? Um, so yeah, the super good advice. So, Ken, anything else from you? No, I think if we, I think uh, ready to just intro Rob. Uh, get him and and get get into picking his brain. Okay. Cool.
So uh, I'm going to kind of, Rob, I'm going to split this into two parts as I intro you, because there's the, there's the stuff you've done in your career um, more than I even can mention. Uh, and then there's the stuff that um, like my, my, me as your friend, knowing you like some, some things I want to talk about with you, uh, okay. all pause, all positive. Um, so in terms of like what Rob's done in his career, um, pretty much everything. So <laughs> Current, yeah, I mean, currently, you know, for his day job, he's a red teamer. But it, you know, if you've if you've tracked Rob, he's he did a lot of Hack Five, uh, like Metasploit tutorials. Um, we were talking about it earlier. Uh, was it Pirate Radio um, podcast, security podcast? Um, he's done a ton of work with CCDC, which is you know like it's cyber defense uh, collegiate competitions basically where these teams there's a red team and a blue team and uh the blue team's the college kids typically i believe and they're trying to defend a network against professional uh red teamers and so it's and i participated in one or two with you and those were really fun um and uh, i mean you've spoken a bunch that's clear you've done all you've given a lot of training i know you gave black hat training um uh, I think you and Egypt's course was, were sold out, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and like, just in general, like you've contributed a lot back to the community with your open source tools, blogging, uh, tutorials, tips, and general mentorship. So professionally, Rob. Oh, and the other thing is a pretty cool thing that I, I you know I don't know how much you talk about it, but uh, Rob contributes uh, to or gives some technical. Um, input to the Silicon Valley, uh, the, the TV show, Silicon Valley, he gives some technical, um, tidbits to the, the team there. So that's kind of, you know, just scratching the surface of what Rob's done professionally, but I've known Rob since I want to say like either 2008 or 2009, we worked together doing defense contracting, which we both learned we don't like and don't feel like <laughs> doing. Yep. Um, and so like, you know, I, I Basically, like what I can say about Rob is like you're a genuinely good human being. I feel like you're the type of guy who would give his sh the shirt off his back to anyone. I feel like you exhaust yourself in the sake of furthering the community. And I don't think people people really understand like uh, sometimes just how little sleep you get and how much effort <laughs> you put in and how much work you put in. How and genuinely like how much you care. You're a good person. And uh, if there's anything I can ever say about you, that's like the, the biggest thing. So uh, I wanted to put my little take on, you know, the, the friendship that we've had and, and uh, who I think you are. So uh, two thumbs up for me, Rob, you're a great person. So um, now that, that all that mushy stuff out of the way, um, I, you know, I clearly know your origin story, but can you fill our listeners in on how you got into security, how you knew you wanted to do security and kind of your path to where you're at now? Sure. So um, I was in the Marine Corps as a combat engineer from 2000 to 2008. Uh, basically what a combat engineer is, is an explosives expert. So we work with, uh, as well as construction. So I didn't do too much construction. We did a lot of explosives. Um, and uh, I knew that I liked computers because I, I, I played on computers as a kid um, and went into compute, uh, a couple computer classes and programming classes in high school. And uh, But I didn't graduate high school. 
Um, so I had to go into a couple different scenarios for the Marine Corps. So um, I, uh, uh, the, the best I knew on how to work with computers, I mean, on an IP level in the Marine Corps, all the way up to like 2005, was that if those subnet numbers are the same, then we can play games. If they're different, they're not going to work. Um, and like that, I, I remember that distinctly going through my head uh, because I was I was trying to get like how what was it Age of Empires or something like that working. Um, so after that, I uh, came to Quantico, Virginia, as a Marine and uh, did instant response there. Really loved doing that and. Uh, the first uh, the first year I was there, I met these guys who were doing a podcast, just started a podcast called Hack5, and I learned about it through um, a podcast called Dig, Dig Nation. Um, and the only reason I knew about that was because Kevin Rose was on it, and I used to watch um, tech TV and that kind of stuff. Um, so found out about Hack5 watched a couple episodes and realized they were in Virginia. Um, so I'm like, oh, that's awesome. And then they had this party at their house. So I drove down, uh, asked my wife, got permission, uh, and drove down and, and hung out uh, with them and uh, really uh, gained a good friendship there and went to my first con with them, um, ScrewCon, um, and uh, really got my taste for security then. Um, and even though that was where I really learned about information security, um, I think that my mindset, um, goes back to, um, when I was playing video games and, and Super Nintendo and, and that stuff uh, as a high schooler and stuff, because my mom, uh, I would play video games and I would cheat at every single one of them. Like I would find the game gene codes, uh, use game shark. Um, uh, uh, what's the other one? There's another one. Uh, anyways, I'd use it and find the hex codes. Those hexadecimal codes were uh, were memory addresses where you freeze the memory addresses. I had no idea what these things were, other than I knew if I could freeze, uh, if I could pick this hex code, that was where the health was. And if I did the health, I could live forever. And um, for me, like my my mom would say, "You're ruining." game by doing these things and like no that's my game like my game is to learn how to cheat the game beat the game and then i move on to the next game and then figure out how to cheat the game and beat the game um and uh, i think that's where really my mindset started triggering in um into information security and hacking in general um out of the marine corps i did instant response for um, the senate uh worked with you at the pentagon uh did uh uh tax simulation stuff uh did consulting for rapid seven did uh, uh i worked in an internal red team at ge uh, which was amazing and i miss it it's a um, if you if you're looking for a job ge thread team is an amazing uh place to go um left on good terms there really really loved it rapid seven is good too it's just not for me um, uh, worked at IBM for a little while, worked at Uber for a little while, did a startup, um, uh, and now, now working for another internal team and 
and really enjoy it there. Um, so that's really my my resume, as it were. Uh, but I've also done, uh, like you said, Silicon Valley. I'm a, I'm a tech advisor, a senior tech advisor for there. Um, uh, and a lot of people ask me how I got that gig. Um, uh, it doesn't pay well, just so you know. <laughs> um, they, they call they call you at all hours of the day, all hours of the night. As a regular tech advisor, you get like six hundred bucks total for the entire season. And oh my like, God, that's they're making out like <laughs> they're making out like bandits. Right. So, like, uh, I mean, you do get invited to the the premieres, and and that was amazing. I got to go in. Uh, I got to see the red carpet. They ushered all of the tech advisors and, and other people through the other doors, but like I got to see where the red carpet was, be in its presence. Uh, I actually have a, a short story about my first uh, premiere. I was sitting, I was sitting down in my spot, and right next to me was uh, uh, a sign that said Jason Statham, and there was two or three. Um, signs on on the seats next to me that said Jason Statham, and I was freaking out. I'm like, I I'm gonna sit next to Jason Statham. A douchebag didn't even show up for the premiere. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Jason Statham. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's probably listening right now. He'll feel bad. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Uh, yeah, um, but uh, CCDC was another core that I started um, when close to when I met you. Um, I CCDC. I love the way the the reason for it. It's it's all about teaching students how to defend networks and giving them real experience and getting like when you when someone comes in to interview and they've done CCDC, I know that they have hands-on experience in whatever it is, right? In instant response or forensics or whatever, um, because it teaches you all that stuff on the fly, and you have to learn it. And you have to spend a lot of time on it. Um, so um, I actually. Uh, as of last year, started uh, being the, the game master CTO for Mid Atlantic. So I built the entire thing. Um, that was dumb. I was stupid to volunteer for that. Um, yeah, that's it's only, rough. That's, that's a lot of work. work. That's yeah. a lot of work. Um, so, uh, but uh, it's so much fun, and and just to see the students come out of it um, with so like big eyes. Saying you know, I learned so much this weekend, or or uh, so, you know, it, it's awesome. I get to participate in national CCDC as well as Red Teamer. Luckily, I don't have to do too much for that other than show up. It's great. Um, I run uh, Hackers in Education. I don't know if you guys know what that is, but that's uh, a program that I run um, where I got really frustrated with, uh, with user awareness training. Um, and decided that it's better to teach them. Well, me and Ben, um, Ben Ten, we had this really long discussion at DerbyCon um, where I was just railing against user education in general. And he's like, yeah, there, there's a better way. And we kind of talked through uh, what that better way was. And, and it ultimately got to the point where um, if we teach them young enough, then they won't be a problem or they won't, uh, that's a bad way of saying it. Um, they won't have as many issues with phishing when they be, when they become uh, employed. Uh, and uh, so I reached out to our uh, local police department 
because it was a police department that was teaching my kids about um, security in general for from from drugs to bullying to whatever. Um, and they started teaching my kids. Um, I have, so I have three kids and they started teaching my kids about um, online uh, security. I'm like, I can, I, I can help with this. This is, you know, I know this. Um, so uh, that's where that program came into being. Yeah. That's, um, I mean, it's good to, it's good to get people like early. Um, and it's gen generally just a healthy level of skepticism that people need. And it's not, it doesn't just come from computers, right? Like it's just that, that level of skepticism you should have. I'm not, I'm not saying we should teach our kids to be cynical, but kind of, right? Um, I think we should teach them not to trust everything on the internet. Yeah. Um, no, yeah, yeah, that's what I was going to say. I think, I think they need to have like, a healthy level of skepticism about what other people are telling them, right? Trust, but verify, right? You know what I mean? Which is you when know? you talk about your mom and that, like the kind of the friction there with understanding the way you play the game, not to get like all, you know, too deep or philosophical, but it kind of translates to the friction that I feel like I've had. And probably a lot of the people watching this podcast and just in security in general, I've had with most other human beings in society, which is there's this like, there's this general set of society sort of like norms and almost obedience to those norms. And then you've got people that are like, well, why the fuck should I sit in this class for eight hours, you know, drawing circles, you know, like this isn't helping me. I don't know. That's maybe my more, more my personal experience, but like, you know, it's just the, 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 the thoughts that go through your head that don't necessarily line up with like, it's not bad, you know, but it, it's, it's outside of most people's like the way they were, the way they think to question just things in general, like, yeah. okay, you're saying this, you're the authority, but I do. Why are you the authority? Right? Like, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. See, it, it can it can go uh, it can cut both ways though, right? Like Rob, I don't know how old your kids are, but you know, my I've got a daughter that's fifteen, and definitely like the questions as they turn into teenagers become a lot more pointed, right? Uh, you know, about hey, I, I like I know that you like me as her dad am like a hacker, and I try to subvert things, and then I watch her do the same things, right? And even to things that I tell her how to do, and it's hard for me to be like, okay, that was wrong. Where's that line? Like you got to instill morals at the same time to go along with that because of you know what we do. Like I'm, you know, I, I feel like I'm giving them more more tools to subvert than than I had when I was that age, right? And you, I think we kind of deal with that uh, from the CCDC perspective as well, right? Those kids that are in the in college and learning how to hack or how to defend um, the tools that they have are a lot more powerful than the ones that we had when we were that we were when we were coming of age. So, so the the way that I deal with that, at least for me, is I, I um, use a little bit of fear. I tell them that uh, the CFAA currently. Um, the minimum time in prison for a single count is something like nine years. So like you, you really want to look at your grade before it's out um, and then go to jail for nine years. Like, 
like just making sure that they understand that decision is is how I have gotten. So I I feel you. I have kid. Uh, some of my kids uh, do like they were the ones that put while I was sleeping put my thumb on my touch ID to buy <laughs> video to buy video games. Right. I'm like, good on you. Don't do it again. This is what could happen. You guys are going to jail. That's yeah. going to happen next. Daddy's calling the police. <laughs> yeah. Enjoy jail. The scared, you'll be t- the scared straight programs are, are legit. <laughs> No, yeah, it's just a weird thing. Like when you, because there's this weird balance you always have to play, right? Like, I remember. Let me give you a perfect example that that happened recently. I was coming off an airplane, and uh, I was like one of the first people off the airplane. Uh, but there were like maybe two or three people ahead of me, so they uh, they went to the door at the end of the runway, and it was closed, and they stopped. And they just sat there. And when I got up to them, like, what are you waiting for? Like, well, the door is locked. I said, why is the door locked? They're like, well, it's closed and that's red. And I just pushed it open. And I'm like, no, we we can go. Like, we don't have to wait for anybody. I'm like, who are you (laughs) waiting for? Like, and so it's like those little things, but it's just the difference in mentality of most people and the polite, proper way you're supposed to behave. And when you have to, like you guys said, I have a kid. I have one kid, a son, six years old. You guys know that but for the people watching and I have to wrestle with that too. You're like, no, I don't want you to actually implicitly just believe and follow everything. But at the same time, these are my rules. So (laughs) yeah, it's to follow them. So, so the way that I handle that is, uh, is I don't enforce the rules. I enforce the punishment. So they understand the consequences, right? So yeah, you can make any decision you want. You can subvert anything you want. I'm totally okay with you uh, understanding and doing that, but you under- you have to understand the rules, right? So for me, like hacking, hacking something uh, like a like in China, you know, if I go online and open up Burp and I hack something in China just to try something out for research, I understand that I'm breaking the CFA and I could go to jail for that. So I don't do it, right? Um, those, the, like, making sure that you understand the consequences for your actions um, and, and expressing those and saying, it's you as a, as a human being are making those decisions. That's up to you. I'm going to try and steer you as a six-year-old or as a 12, 11, 12, 13-year-old um, away from those decisions. But um, you just got to give them the choice. That's that's ultimately what I came to um, after trying to corral my kids and trying to corral my kids because they're they're uh, pretty devious. They're smart kids. They're, they're you got some smart kids. Yeah, there's not. I I, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I like that. I well, yeah. I, I definitely like the idea of the consequences, right? I think we we deal with that like threat analysis all the time. You know, the, the fact that we don't we don't go out and hack on the Internet because we do understand. All right. If I'm not if I don't have permission to do this, the consequences are so high that or so severe that it would affect the other people in my life and other things like that. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but it's hard to, you know. Yeah. <clears throat> 
it's still hard to to give those like that perspective to a you know, a teenager that thinks they know everything, right? So um, I actually solidified that pretty young. So um, my boys were doing something that they weren't supposed to. Don't remember exactly what it was, but I'm like, and they were playing on our Xbox 360. We had an Xbox 360 at the time, and um, I'm like, if you keep doing that, I'm going to throw the Xbox 360 away. I was just mad, right? At the time, I was upset and. And I wasn't thinking exactly what I said, um, but they kept doing it. They kept doing it. Um, and then, you know, in my head, I'm like, if I don't follow through, they're never going to believe me again. Right. Yeah. So Xbox 360 went in the trash. Like it went out, it got taken out of the trash. We have not had one since. So, <laughs> so they very much understand that when, when I say something, I mean, the consequences are real. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's the follow through, right? That's I mean, we're getting almost into parenting here, man. What is this hacking podcast parenting. called again? Gosh. Well, hacking parenting. Yeah. Or parenting hackers, however you want to look at it. Yeah, either yeah. way. No, that, that's definitely it. There there may may or may not have been a time that I had to take doors off of hinges and things like that because of <laughs> because of similar actions, right? <laughs> if you think you deserve privacy, you do. But when you don't, yeah. Anyway, yeah. so yeah, it, it it happens. I think every parent has to go through it. Um, it but it does feel like you know I, I took the my older two kids to uh, Roots this last year, and you know watching them discover things is great. But then it's also like, guess what? You don't pick locks anywhere but at our house, right? Like I'm like. Because there's a consequence, you could destroy the lock. You're gonna have to pay for it if you break it, you know. But if it's somebody else's house, that's breaking and entering, and then there is other consequences to that, right? But uh, like, it, it's very fun to you know bring home the lock pick set, I and mean, we've got the six year old that now can do like a five pin lock, and I'm like, wow. holy crap! And he'll just sit there, and I don't think he quite understands exactly what he's doing outside of he's there and almost just raking the lock, and then it opens for him, and he's like. Woohoo, I can do that. And then he moves on. It's just one other thing. So so start him young and then, you know, and then fear the consequences that you've unleashed on the world. There you go. <laughs> Reminds me of the, the lead character of The Saint when he was a kid picking locks for some reason. What was it, Simon something? I don't know. Simon Templar. Yeah. Pick locks because he was trying to open the food thing. For uh, because it was taken away because he wouldn't say his name. Sorry, one of my favorite movies of all time. So you just it, it is. It, that's funny. I I don't think I've ever told you this. That's actually my. In fact, I wrote. I got asked. Uh, what you know? What's your favorite hacker movie for some book that's coming out? And uh, I said uh, the Saint. And I said maybe it doesn't come off like a hacker movie, but to me, it's an absolutely a hacker a hacker movie. He totally. uses social engineering and lock picking and technical skills to get into places you shouldn't. So absolutely. Well, so here's the the thing about you is that you have proven one of the points that Seth and I have made on this podcast over and over again, which is community involvement can mean career success. So for instance, with you, uh, I mean, I've known you a long time. So I've, I've watched your career progress. And when you first started, um, there's, I mean, you have an absolute love for tech. And so you're constantly digging into tech and that has never gone away. Um, and on top of that, uh, so that's the skills part. The other part of that is, um, just, just, uh, 
that constant thirst for, for knowledge. I think that's always there with you. Um, and you're always helping people out and writing code and, and doing things like that. But one of the things that sticks out to me about uh, your career, the way it's progressed and, you know, very successfully. So uh, is when I, I remember back in, we'll say 2009, I think it was, you know, you were reaching out to folks like um, HD more directly and, you know, linking up with the hack five folks. And you were sort of just like putting yourself out there um, meeting people through online and through conferences. And like, that seems to be in addition to, you know, teaching yourself things and, and being very good at them and also like training people, which helps you learn stuff. I, I would say one of the, the big things that you've done is like community involvement. So for those watching, like any tips in general for um, somebody who's like, Hey, I don't like, I don't know a Rob Fuller. I don't know a, 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 a Mubix or I don't know, you know, a Chris Gates or I don't know an HD more like, uh, but maybe I, I want to get into the community and I want to get to a point where I, I can ask those people, like, should they be nervous if they want to reach out to those folks? Should they be, you know, um, comfortable kind of approaching folks? Yeah. So, um, I would say two things. Um, first is, um, you are a human too. Um, everyone else that you want to talk to is probably also a human. Uh, and that is how you should treat them respectfully and as a human. Um, just because HD has uh, created Metasploit and done amazing things doesn't uh, make him irreproachable. It just makes him someone who's done a lot of good things and you should respect that. Um, it, it, I, I don't know. I, I've had that broken in me since I was a kid. Um, so like I would, I would walk up to the pastor of my church and, and ask him questions directly about God and, and that kind of stuff. And um, my dad freaked out anyways. Uh, like, like age was age and experience was never a stopper for me for questions. Um, so what I would say is um, anyone you have a question for, find the person who probably has the answer, then just go ask them. doesn't matter if it's freaking President Obama or, or the lunch lady at your kid's school. Just whoever it is, just ask the question. Um, and um, always have a question. Uh, there's a lot of people in this industry that are incredibly busy um, and, and they are doing their own thing. So um, if they want to hang out, they will hang out with you. Um, but, um, if you just want to chat with them to be in their presence or, um, you know, mingle, um, it's, I'm not going to say a waste of their time, but like, if they don't know you, how, let me phrase this better. Um, so everyone, everyone has a set number, set amount of time on this earth. Um, and they give it to people uh, freely to other people who they want to hang out with, they want to learn um, or, or want to do things with. Um, if you take someone's time for no apparent reason, then it doesn't come off well. Uh, but if you have a question and someone can answer that question because they have the experience, then it's totally doable and totally awesome. And you should, you should do that every time you have a question. So if, if I had, and I, I do this to you all the time, 
um, if I have a question about AppSec stuff, I will I just message you directly. And while we do know each other um, and have experience with each other, um, I would be messaging you directly anyways, because I know you have the experience, even if we didn't know each other. So like, if I have a Metasploit question, I would ask HTMR. I mean, if I have a, a programming question in Ruby, I would ask either Todd Beardsley or, or Egypt. And like, just find who has the answer to your question. It's not always Stack Overflow. And just ask the question. And then you get to know those people. And they, um, and, uh, and it becomes more of a relationship and you get part of the community. And that's how I um, kind of germinated in the community. Um, uh, I, more people than I did Google. Yeah, from my perspective, that's always been something I've, I've noticed just like, because there are ways to get involved in the community. You can, I mean, you co-founded Nova Hackers with Chris, so that's certainly a, a way to go about it, right? Um, build, build your own community. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's that exactly. Build your own community. There's, you know, volunteering at conferences is a great way. Um, whatever, but uh, I've always noticed with you, it's like you've uh, created some really great relationships with folks, and I've always wondered how. So it's it's interesting interesting to hear that it's like, you know, you're you're. Well, and I know it's more than just asking questions because I also know you've contributed back. You know what I mean? You've, you've, you've just not taken from folks. You've contributed quite a bit back in the, in, in the, the same, at the same time. And you've built some really strong relationships with uh, some pretty uh, amazing folks within the community that way. Yeah. So it's when you ask a question and you have an idea about something, ask that question too. Like um, never be afraid that your, your idea is dumb or already thought of. Um, so what I get frustrated with is when I see or hear people come talk to me and like, uh, they wanna get into InfoSec or whatever, I'm like, do a YouTube video on how to um, how to use MSO 67. And they're like, well, that's been done 5,000 times. Yeah, but it teaches you how to use Netsploit, how to use YouTube, get ready and, and get you out there and actually creates content. So like never, like InfoSec has this problem where um, the same people figure out the same thing all the time together, right? We were just talking about that before the, the podcast started. And um, and I don't care, <laughs> just put it out there, right? Like if, if someone else did it too um, and they complain about it or, they, or, or someone tells you, hey, someone else did it and you didn't you know, do diligence to find it, um, just add them to the resources or, or attribute them to like, it's not a big deal. Like putting a name that says this guy also found the same thing. is not a huge deal. Right. And a lot of people make a big deal out of it. Like, Oh, this is my original research or whatever. Uh, just, just put yourself out there and, and stop being so self-conscious about, um, about what you're putting out there because yes, it might be MSO to 67 on YouTube for the 9 billionth time, but it's you learning how to do it. And the people who find your video versus the 9 billion other ones will start to be a community around you um, and will help you and support you. And they'll complain, but they'll help you and support you too. Um, so just get it out there, just start doing stuff. Like that would be my two things that I would say to people who are um, kind of wanting to get involved you were the first person that ever i uh, 
you you were the reason I like the first video I ever made tutorial wise. That was you who was like you gave me that same advice at the time. You were like, because I was like nobody cares about this. I think it was maybe burp or something like that. And you're like, no, I mean you should still do that. And so I think I didn't do the voice. You did the voice or something like that. And I just did the I forget what it was. But I, anyways, point being, you gave me that advice then. Did that went well. Realized from that point forward, like this is pretty nice to do this and I made a bunch of tutorials after that. And, uh, that helped me in my career. Like the second I started doing that, like, especially I think for a month I had 30 days of burp sweet tips, a new one every day. Uh, yeah, that was like for, for career, for just like recognition and career. And it was simple stuff. It wasn't anything. It was just like you said, it was nothing that would like, I don't think somebody else could have figured out, but when you put them all together, and you can, you know, watch that every day and maybe you'll learn something new. It can be helpful to somebody. So, yeah, yeah there was a good, there was actually a good comment on YouTube, Toaster32, whoever that is, um, said that information is more likely to be picked up with more voices sharing it. A lot of people think it's, if it's not new, then it's not worth sharing. And I think that's the point that you guys are trying to make is it helps you, but it also helps everyone else and it raises awareness. Um, Right. I mean, how many of those you talk about stack overflow, right? But how many of those recommendations, especially from a coding perspective, are complete, just bogus information that developers should not be doing? And the problem is that so many people have looked at that answer and have upvoted it that everybody thinks it's that's now the standard and that's the way that it should happen. Right. Um, So the more that you put out good information, the more good information that's out there for everyone else. Right. Yeah. And, and think of it like photography, right? How many people have taken pictures of, let's say, Mount Rushmore, right? Um, millions upon millions of people have taken fi- pictures of Mount Rushmore, but you still see it in in portfolios of photographers because it's a beautiful picture to take and it, they put their own spin on it, right? They put their own voice to it. They put their own uh, changes to it, whatever. I mean, it's all about how you see the world and how you perceive it and how you, um, how you, uh, produce it for for those who want to consume it, right? Just think. Yeah. That... Go ahead. Yeah. No, no. I, I mean, you're absolutely right. Like that that perspective, your perspective may speak to different people than the you know the nine hundred others or the nine billion others other perspectives that are out there, and it may help someone else in their career. That's the. Other, I, I wanted to go back to that, Rob. You brought up a good point that you need to pe- treat people respectfully, right? Um, and like most people are willing to help and want to help others, right? I, I find very few people in the industry that are out there, especially publicly, that just think that they are like superhuman and they, you know, they shouldn't be approached. Uh, so most of the time, if you have a valid question, they're going to be more than happy to answer it and engage in some sort of dialogue or discussion around it. But again, you know, don't waste their time. It's not like if you don't really have a valid question, don't make something up on the spot. But at the at the same level, treat them like you would want to be treated if you were coming into that same situation. Yeah, and it goes both ways too. So like if 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 you're an uh, experienced person in the InfoSec community, if you treat um, if you treat someone new to the community um, like dog shit, they're going they're going to remember that they're going to feel that throughout their entire career, you know, either, either they'll 
go on to do other things because you just destroyed InfoSec for them. And I've seen that happen where individual that I know didn't want to be an InfoSec anymore because he met one person that was bad um, uh, because he thought, you know, that was the rest of us too. And um, I've seen it go the other way where um, they, you know, they avoid that person from then on or whatever, but like um, respect goes every, every way, right? Goes towards the people um, who have the experience or, and, to, and to the ones who are just learning too. It's just human. Yeah, and you never know what where those other people are going to end up, right? I, I mean, you know, they could be the the next person that takes over a team that you want to join at a new company, right? That the, the security community is really quite small, and not only that, right? You treat them well, they get pr promoted somewhere. Maybe you're going in there as a consultant or whatever it is, um, but they may be doing amazing things in two or three years that you just had no idea or even even thought about. I, I mean, I've seen that in our own little like community here in Salt Lake City, kids that are coming out of school, be it like B-sides or whatever, you have good discussions with them. And two or three years down the road, uh, they're, you know, they're now part of like the whole badge, you know, maker, whatever that happened at uh, DEF CON this year. And I'm like, holy crap, that's some really cool stuff. And they have a lot of interesting insight that, you know, that I don't have as an application security person. But now that there is some sort of a relationship there, it just seems to build and grow the community as a whole. Which touches on, you know, to because we've talked a, a, a little bit about like sort of the, uh, the mentory role. And there's a comment from El Cantaro, you know, but if you're going to ask a question of a potential uh, mentor or somebody you might want to approach, you know, make sure you've done your due diligence on the kind of question. And I think that's a good point to bring up in, in terms of like, or a good question to ask you is like, what makes a good, is it, is it mentory? Is that the right way to say it? A mentee? Mentee, thank you. Um, um, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> so I, I have had a couple experiences with uh, attempting to mentor people, and it usually goes one of two ways. Either, either the person um, loses touch with me, even though I've asked them to do things, or, or I, I assign things to them that they should check out and they don't, um, or I've gotten too busy and I've I've been a horrible person and not kept up with them. Um, never had a successful mentorship go through um, a full cycle or you know a, a length of time. Um, that's why I created Project Mentor, so I didn't have to mentor specific people. I could put out the mentoring challenges um, out there so that people could do them as they want, and I would mentor them if they had questions. So that way, uh, I funnel it into questions I can answer, uh, and I can answer when I have time and I don't have to be chasing anyone. It's all self, uh, self-propelled. Right? Is that just you answering those questions or do you have like, is that crowdsourced between other mentors who are also responding to those inquiries regarding those challenges? Um, just me, but I will find the answer to your question. If you, if you message me. So like that, um, answers at projectmentor.net is, uh, number one in my notifications every single time. And if anyone completes a challenge, um, so the, that's the other thing. Um, on Project Mentor, um, you can decide that you've completed a challenge without any interaction from me. Um, the password or the, the key is the same for every single challenge. Um, so uh, the the idea is that um, I put these challenges out and you can ask questions if you get stuck somewhere, but you decide when you're done with it. 
if you decide halfway through the forensic challenge that you're not into forensics and want to drop it, big deal. Um, I don't care if you mark it as complete or not. Um, but if you get into the incident response one or, or one of the other ones um, and you want to ask a bunch of questions, um, then that works too. Make sense? It does. And it's an interesting approach instead of saying like, hey, I'm going to, you know, just reach out to me and I'm going to give you a set of tasks and you're going to come back. And then, you know, as you're probably approaching some of those tasks, do your best to like find the answer. But if you can't reach out to me, that's why I'm here. But then you get busy. I mean, we, we're we all, when we say busy, like life fills up. A day, a day can fill up pretty quickly uh, with things that you've got going on. So um, this, I like the approach because it's, uh, for, for one, it's like asynchronous, which is my favorite way to communicate. <laughs> other than I've this noticed. podcast. Yeah. Yeah. January. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My terrible, uh, what is that, nine-month window to respond to instant messages. Um, yeah, no, but asynchronous communication and then, um, no pressure. If you don't like doing this thing, well, you probably won't want to do it professionally. Right. So, you know, I mean, it, it doesn't, cause that's true. Like if it's, if something's hard, it doesn't mean that you don't like it. I mean, I like lights, lots of things that are very difficult. Um, but if it's difficult, if it, if it's difficult and you just don't enjoy it and it's just a slog, it's just rough to get through, then yeah, like that's good. It's good to know better than now than later in your career. Absolutely. So I like the idea. Um, no, and I, I have been, I have been posting some of these links in the different channels as we've been talking about it. So uh, projectmentor.net's on both our Slack channel and the YouTube video as they, as people are viewing it. Um, and hopefully there'll be some others that'll be interested in it because it does seem like a great resource there, Rob. Yeah, and um, I'm open to having other mentors come in and help me. Honestly, I don't get that many, um, and it's it's relatively easy to keep up right now. But um, if you have ideas for challenges, um, I'm definitely into that. And I will say that um, the ideas for challenges need to be non-CTF. Like there have, doesn't have to be, there doesn't, there needs to not have a, a definite answer. Um, so it needs to be kind of open-ended. So there are questions that evolve from it and that kind of thing. Um, and that's really what I, I like to do in, in those project mentor questions is um, to uh, make sure that like, here's a hash, tell me everything you can tell me about it. Um, and if, if I get to just get an answer with, well, the hash is, you know, equals password. That tells me nothing about it. That just tells me what it what it was hashed to. It doesn't tells me doesn't tell me that it was a um, NTLM hash or that the user was Bob or that um, what kind of system it came from or whatever. Like all the things that you can learn from those types of things. And that's really what I, I try and tend to do with uh, with those questions is keep that open so that there can be a dialogue. So I can do actual mentorship. So if you want to get involved as a, from a mentor standpoint or add challenges, do you, I mean, is there a way to do that through the site or do you just talk to you directly like Twitter Any, DM or something? Twitter DM answers at projectmentor.net. Um, like um, I'll just add you as a, as a person, uh, as an admin onto the uh, project mentor uh, site and you can add challenges as you want. It's really just, it's built on CFD, uh, CF, CTFD, 
with a couple modifications and it, it just goes. Nice. Yeah, I like that. Uh, that's a Python app, right? Or a Python Django app, I believe. That's yeah. It's a nice. I took a look at it before. It was um, it's pretty cool. Um, well, awesome. Um, one of the things I wanted to ask you about, uh, just because I've got you here. Um, so you you went back and you you took higher education. You're in the middle of doing it right now. Um, arguably no real need to do it in the sense that, you know, you, uh, you have a great career. Um, you know, you, you, you make a good living, good career. Uh, there's no pressure. I, I would imagine from anyone saying like, you need to do this. Clearly it's, there's an intrinsic, uh, sort of motivation for you to do that. And, uh, you know, why? Well, I mean, what's driving you for, uh, to, to driving you to get that degree? Sure. So, um, I have two answers to that question. And uh, so the short answer is, is that um, as a kid, um, my dad did not have his college degree. My mom does, but my dad did not. And when they started saying you need to go to college, um, I'm like, but you didn't. And, I, and while college isn't a requirement in our field, um, it is 99.9% of other fields um, don't want my kids to have that option <laughs> so because my wife's gone through higher education uh, uh, and both in, in Japan and here and, uh, and I, I, I want to be able to also tell my kids that I have a degree as well and can't escape out of that <laughs> that's a good motivation. I mean, to, to kind of set that example. And on the note of your wife, like I remember that book you showed that she was reading for fun, that legal book that was like, I mean, I'm no offense to anybody on this call, but I'm pretty sure she's smarter than all of us. Like I was insane. <laughs> I was like, that's for fun. Yeah, you, 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 you have a weird sense of fun. <laughs> reads legal documentation. Understand it. They, they they produce it for somebody, so I, I guess there has to be somebody out there that that wants to read through it. So, no, that's that that that's cool, right? Um, I don't know if I have the capacity to go back, right? At, at this point, like in in my career, I I think I'd make I'd mouth off too much to the to the professors. Maybe if so, it wasn't computer science, right? Uh, so would, I go through WGU. Um, Western oh, Government okay. University, yeah. which is um, an awesome school, it's also, but it's self-paced, right? So um, if you're not someone who can motivate yourself and, and learn by yourself, you're not going to do well in the school. Um, but it's re it's relatively cheap. Uh, and the other cool thing is they do certifications as your tests. So like for my project management or computer science and project management course, I have to take the CompTIA Project Plus as my final exam which gets me a certificate as well as uh, credit for college, right? So I, I really like how they did that. I, I went from having um, one expired CEH to like 15 certs now. <laughs> cool. So any recommended certs that you've, you've done in the last little while that you feel are extremely helpful? I am not a CompTIA fan. I, I loathe the CEH but I did take their cryptography one, the certified uh, encryption specialist. And uh -huh. I, learned a, I learned a ton. Um, 
I didn't know crypto very well before that. And now I understand how crypto works. I can't write my own proofs or do anything like that, obviously, but like I, I understand the basics of crypto and how, how it can be broken um, at, at the different layers. And I, uh, and, uh, I would recommend uh, at least studying for that exam uh, because I learned a lot just doing that. Cool. No, I, th that would be good, right? Um, remember doing a crypto course in, in college, but it's been years for me, right? So I'm sure things change, especially if you get into the elliptical curve algorithms and everything else that's there and understanding how that works as opposed to the, the older ones, right? Um, good. Well, we, I mean, we've been going for it for over an hour. Um, uh, other, like the one thing that we do like to ask people that I don't think we've, we've necessarily talked about specifically, you've, you've talked about CCDC, um, somebody that's coming new into the industry though, what would you recommend that they do to either, you know, get involved or, you know, become a, a security professional? Um, so first off, I would say, do be okay with doing work jobs like um, like call center. Some of the best pen testers on the planet were call center people uh, because they see and hear all of the problems that go on in, in companies. They know where those issues exist. They know how or when people report phishing emails. They like they they see everything, right? So call center do a call center for at least, at least a little while, um, uh, or for help desk. I'm sorry. Um, like do some forensics. Uh, I learned really early on in my career that I didn't want to do forensics because. Um, we did some uh, children stuff, uh, and like I'm, I'm not okay with that. I wanted to um, get up and just go hurt the person, um, and that would not have been legal. Um, but like, do do try a bunch of the easy, you know, not easy. Try a bunch of the grunt work entry-level jobs until you find what sticks for you and uh, and be okay with that be okay with relocation be okay with um pay uh, don't try not to kill your you know up to the point where you're saying i have to make six figures um in my next job or i'm or, or i have to sell my house or whatever um like i did um yeah and you know that's something that that occasion not very often but i have heard has been like, okay, well, I could, I could say more than five times. So I guess enough to like be kind of gross in a way, like where I've heard people say, oh yeah, I want to get into cybersecurity. I hear the money's really good. And I'm like, just like, that's just, that immediately kills it. It's just, <laughs> don't well, say I, that I, or think that, you know, like. Say that the, um, that there are, so I thought the same way that, Infosec really needed passion and 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 drive and do it, you know, home lab and stuff like that. Um, until I met a guy named Matt. Um, Matt is a AppSec guy. Um, he's fantastic, um, but he's a nine to fiver. He comes into work, he destroys web applications, um, and then at five o'clock he's done. He goes to do his own thing. He like rock climbs and all this other stuff. He doesn't touch a computer until he's back at work at nine o'clock or eight o'clock, whatever. 
Um, and while I will say that there are, that it's easier to get hired if you have the passion, if you're, if you're looking to get, um, do the labs and learn and do all that stuff. Um, as long as you have the hustle to be really good at what you do, um, it's okay not to have the, the late hours and the, you know, the extra time on the side. That's all I, I, I'll caveat what you said. Yeah. I mean, there's, well, I'm about to caveat your caveat. Cause I would say, you absolutely are going to have to learn some things that nobody's going to teach you during the day. We've talked about this before on the podcast where like, there's that balance, but like once you've, it's not hard to keep up a little bit, like just a little bit, like read a little bit at work, but also like it doesn't, it's not a bad thing to do it after work to like maybe read for a little bit or something like that. Um, and certainly like for even now, I mean, I, I never feel comfortable. So even now doing things in my off time, for like uh, the talk that's coming up with Chris at Cactus Con and stuff like that, like and the uh, teaching that we're doing with uh, Seth and I, and um, just just because I think it's you know sharpening the skill set, staying relevant, um, helping other people, um, giving back a little bit. Um, I mean, the course isn't free, but don't get me wrong. But you know, hopefully that that info helps. The code that we're building is so. Um, but uh, yeah, like. I agree. You don't need to spend 60, 70 hours a week working, but yeah, like if your primary, I guess what my point was is if your primary motivation to get into security is just money. Um, yeah, that's, I'm, I'm just going to say from my personal opinion on that is it to me, it just sounds gross. Like I would rather work next to the person that's there because like, this is like something that this is just sort of a way that they think and sort of, a get excited with other people who get excited about the same things you do. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I don't want somebody clocking in and punching a, you know, or like punching a clock and, you know, factory worker mindset. Like I want you to care. So, but anyways, uh, but yeah, don't need to be a workaholic, but back to you. Sorry. On like what makes somebody success uh, or like what can somebody do to be successful? Um, also, I would say that, uh, so I did this talk um, really early on in my career, uh, I think right before I met you, um, called Couch the Career in 80 Hours or Less. And um, it's all about how I got fired from my first job out of the Marine Corps and how I really went into workaholic mode and uh, spent 40 hours plus got and had my next job uh, within that 80 hours, within those two weeks, uh, not just interviewing those two weeks, but having a job in those two weeks. And that wasn't, well, I wasn't, wasn't um, there in the community very much. Um, and uh, it was just the hustle that I did to get that job. And I've met plenty of people who've been looking for infosec jobs for um, three, six, nine, ten months, and and I don't understand it because like, what are you spending your time on? Um, so if you're if you're looking for an infosec job, and you're not doing fifteen interviews a week or or as many as possible, like I hate wearing a suit, so I would back to, I would I would line those interviews up back to back, <laughs> so I wouldn't have to take off the suit in between. 
but like uh if if you're not hustling um, and trying to find that entry level job or that secondary level job how you're doing it so if you're if you're looking to get into infosec um and as as any job um would do uh, i'll give you an example when i when i got my first job at 15 years old i sat outside that uh, place every day until he gave me the job i talked to the manager every day until i got the job just that's just how you gotta how you gotta hustle how you gotta make make it in this industry or in any industry is you have to put the work in to show that you want it yeah and i think that goes back to what you're saying about being willing to take those entry-level jobs and actually do that work and learn the basics before before assuming that that's what you want to do or that you're qualified to take some of those other jobs right um, I mean, you know, I, I think back to my days of doing, you know, help desk work, right? That that's, you know, I, it wasn't it, it wasn't the most interesting work, but it was definitely uh, educational. People are so coming coming out of uh, uh, college wanting to go directly into pen testing, and like they just don't have they don't have any experience with things go wrong they just have college stuff and it's, it's it never never works out very well i've only had like since where the college student had done like 50 other things on the side and worked out but like yeah i've interviewed uh, a lot of people in my career who um basically only messed with a, a proxy and there's nothing wrong with getting started there uh but you know didn't didn't take the time to, to learn the programming aspect. And I think do something like build a web app, you know, that goes a long way to understanding how a web app works. And, you know, those fundamentals are clearly um, helpful. Uh, just to shift a little bit, um, since we're getting to the end here, I wanted to make sure that we left some time um, to discuss, uh, first of all, are there any other um, projects besides mentor, the mentorship project and um then uh in addition to that besides any projects that you have going on um if people wanted to talk to you meet you in person uh you know we always ask people this what conferences are you going to um you know, when's it happening and uh just so that they can kind of like if they feel like it you know interacting with uh, you and and you can meet some folks sure so uh DerbyCon, uh, uh, October 2nd or something, like really early on October. Um, I'm taking training there. Great. Uh, I'm teaching Red, the Red Team Masterclass at KiwiCon in New Zealand. Oh, that's amazing. I'll also be talking there. Uh, talk is going to be on a tool I'm releasing uh, called LDAT WAT. Um, and, uh, so, no, so KiwiCon's November, October for DerbyCon, and then we also have Wild Wild Hacking Fest in October. Talking DevOps attacks, uh, at, 
uh, model hacking question that talks about how you can take all the DevOps tools that are based on C2 and use them for C2. Other hackery stuff like phishing and stuff. Nice. So you're going to be DerbyCon, uh, uh, ha- Wild Hacking Fest, um, and KiwiCon. Those are my cue. And then, of course, ShmooCon in January. Yeah, ShmooCon. Somebody was just. Oh, yeah. So somebody um, I know locally who's trying to get into security. I was telling them to uh, to uh, actually. I was going to invite them to Nova Hackers to um, to get involved in the community and um, uh, be around for when ShmooCon activities are happening. So um, cool. That's awesome. Um, so anything you would like to. Uh, leave folks with um, before we uh, close out the show. Any uh, closing thoughts or anything you wanted to to mention to folks, Rob? Um, so I, I, in 2017, I lost um, six people out of my life. Uh, parents to death, um, few to suicide and uh, and some other things and to leave people with uh, this thing I pinned to my Twitter account, which is hackingtogether.org. Honestly, I have, I'm really tired of, of people in this industry, um, friends and family, specifically to suicide and drugs and alcohol and all this other just to leave it on quite the downer. If for whatever reason, feeling upset or down or out of, for any reason, um, you're feeling just, uh, what is the term? Uh, what's the term when you're really down? Um, depressed? Depressed, thank you. If you're feeling depressed and you just need someone to talk to, um, my DMs are open out i'll give you my number talk um, as long as you want talk. and just uh goes out to whoever is viewing this video yeah i mean um chris was on the podcast and uh he was pretty um he's pretty candid about you know struggling with uh depression and he gave a keynote as you and i know uh it, it was a really good keynote um called hacking your i think it's hacking your happiness or something along the lines um, but yeah, there's no shame in it. And it seems to be something that's like, I don't know if it's just security or if it's just tech in general. I've seen it with, um, uh, like the developer community too. Um, no shame in admitting that you, uh, you got stuff going on. Um, but it's a total shame to not reach out to somebody and, uh, you have friends and people that are supportive, uh, around you. And what's interesting is that when Chris was going through, uh, you know, again, he was pretty, this isn't me exposing anything. He was candid about it. Um, I had no idea. I had no idea. I couldn't tell any difference. And so to you that might be depressed, just know that some people just don't know. Like I was totally oblivious to it. Um, so unless you say something doesn't mean nobody, you might think you're putting out signs, but like we may not know. So. Yeah. Our, uh, the 
the industry level of EQ is not so high that we can identify signs like that. So agree. Yeah. Reach out. Yeah, the em emotional intelligence. Yeah, totally. Um, but I don't think it's a downer. I don't think it's a downer message. I think it's an important message. Just, just like, yeah, you're right. Seek help if you, you know, or at least just reach out to somebody because people care. So cool. Um, Seth, anything that we, um, cause I know like, let me look at the schedule. I know we've got, um, so we've got Eric Johnson who teaches SANS, um, application security courses. He's going to be on next week. The following week you're doing Saint Con. I think we're going to maybe skip the September 25th um, one. And then the following week we come back with John Melton. So we've got a, um, and after that we've got a, <laughs> got folks from Netflix. We've got, we've got a good lineup coming uh, all the way into November. So um, yeah, it's, uh, uh, I feel like I might be missing something, but yeah, anything set that I've missed. No, I don't think so. I mean, as always, if people have questions or want to interact with us, um, reach out via email or join our Slack group. Uh, we'd love to chat, uh, you know, application security or anything, right? Uh, everybody's pretty supportive that's in there and it's a, there's a good discussion that's going on around all these things. Um, reach out to, to Rob on Twitter at Mubix if you have questions. Obviously, he's a, he's a good good dude and good person to talk with and get to know. Um, but otherwise, Rob, thanks so much for coming on. We appreciate the insight. We appreciate the backstory and uh, you being in the community. So thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you. There is a, there is one last thing I actually forgot to mention. And I'd like to mention at the, I'll mention at the top of the show next week, because I think it's important and hopefully nobody, we may have lost some folks by this point, but um, so Asta, who was on the um, uh, podcast, had brought this to our attention. So um, OWASP Bay Area is sponsoring three full conference passes. passes what's a passes? Is, to pass uh, for, uh, for, for women in security. I've pasted the link in the YouTube uh, chat and um, also in Slack. So there's two ways. If you're a uh, woman in security, you want a conference to uh, a conference pass to AppSec USA. There's a Google form in the in the tweet that I've linked to that you can um, fill out and be put into the raffle. And on the flip side of that, if you're a company who wants to contribute to um, to you know to purchase a ticket uh, on behalf. Uh, of an attendee, then um, you can do so as well. And, and everything is linked there. So just wanted to make sure we mentioned it. And again, we'll mention it next week at the very beginning of the episode. All right, that's it. Thanks, everybody. Thanks. Have a good one. Yeah, appreciate your time, Rob. Thank you. Sure, no problem. Awesome. Thanks for watching, everyone. Talk to you later. Bye.